We're in John chapter 9. The last eight chapters have been John trying to help us understand the remarkable and so difficult to grasp truth that Jesus not only was the Messiah, but that he was the Son of God, God himself in human form. So the last eight chapters have been statement after statement clarifying to each of us this wondrous truth that John wants the whole world to know, that Jesus is God himself. Now, in John chapter 9, Jesus provides another sign of his deity as he does something that had never been done before, and that's this. He heals a man who was born blind. He heals a man who was born blind. And then Jesus uses that as an illustration of how our lives often are lived in blindness, not because we're forced to, but because we choose to. And he speaks to this question and this struggle in our life of how to get rid of blindness so that we can truly see. Now, the verse that I pulled here that I think Jesus would have referred to at this point in time, is actually found in Matthew chapter 18. I want you to read that with me. It's up here on the front. It's called Matthew 18:4, and it's like this. Ready? Let's read it on the screen. It says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And what he is speaking about is that you, as you choose to humble yourself, will see things you never saw before and understand things you never understood before as you yield to the directive and the guidance of God in your life. So today, our mantra, if you want to use that terminology, our one line, that I always try to give us one line because that's all I can ever remember is one line from a message. Okay, so I'm going to give you one line, and it's this. Here's a line. I once was blind, but now I see. Say it with me. I once was blind, but now I see. That line comes from a special song written by a man whose name was John Newton, who becomes blind later in his life, somewhat as a result of his interaction as a slave trader and as a slave owner and a slave seller. And he writes this wondrous song called Amazing Grace. I want you to watch this short clip that gives you a little bit of insight concerning John Newton, what happened to his life. I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. You must publish it. Blow a hole in their boat with it. Damn them with it. I wish I could remember all their names. My 20,000 ghosts. They all have names. Beautiful African names. We call them with just grunts, noises. We were apes. They were humans. We being. I couldn't weep till I wrote this. (laughs) 
I once was blind, but now I see. Didn't I write that too? Yes, you did. Well, now at last it's true. Now go, Wilma, go. We've lots of work to do, you and I. Powerful scene of John Newton and his recognition that previously in his life he was a man blinded from birth and could not see what was in front of his very eyes. So today in John 9, we get to take a look at how Jesus speaks to us concerning blindness and seeing. So turn to John 9, and I'm going to read it so you can kind of follow along with me as best as you can. John chapter 9, out of the NIV version, begins like this. As he went along, Jesus saw a man who had been blind from birth. And his disciples turned to him and said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They were showing off their incredible doctrinal theology. Eh? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, but while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, he put some mud with the saliva, he put it in the man's eyes, and he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sense. And the man went and he washed, and he came home seeing. And his neighbors, those who had formerly seen him begging, turned to him and said, isn't this the same man who used to sit there and beg? Some claimed that he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But he said, no, I I really am the man. Well, how are your eyes open, they said. And he said, the man they called Jesus, he made some mud. He put it on my eyes. Then he told me to go to Siloam and wash. And I went there and I washed. And then I saw. Where's this man at? He said, I don't know. They brought him to the Pharisees, this man who had been blind. And on the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, it was the Sabbath. Jesus is doing it again. Healing on the Sabbath. You might have a point. Therefore, the Pharisees asked him, how have you received your sight? He said, he put mud on my eyes. I washed. Now I see. The Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? They were divided among each other. They turned again to the blind man and they said, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man said, well, he must be a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. So they sent for his parents and they said to them, is this your son, the one who was born blind? How is it that now he can see? In other words, you've been pulling a fast one on us all this time. She said, look, we know he's our son and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that's why his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind. He said, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know that Jesus is a sinner. And he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I I don't know. But one thing I do know, 
Say it with me. I was blind, but now I see. And they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he said, I've told you already. Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Then they started yelling and screaming at him. You're his fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man said, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of anyone opening the eyes of a man born blind. And if this man was not from God, there's no way that he could do it. They replied to him, you were steeped in sin at birth. Catch that again. We're back to why are you this way? Why were you blind at birth? You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he came to him and found him. And he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he said, who is he? That I might believe in him. And Jesus said, I'm the one. I'm the one speaking to you now. And he recognizes the voice. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who think they see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and they said, what are we blind to? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains with you. Father, we thank you for this passage and we ask that you would unveil it to us, that you'd give us sight to understand, to comprehend, so that your truth might permeate our hearts and bring about the change that we so desperately need day by day. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Powerful passage as you look at this particular section here, as Jesus tries to teach us some simple truths about seeing in reality. So in the beginning, we see Jesus looking down at the trail, and he sees a blind man who is begging, and he recognizes that this particular blind man was one who was born blind. Now, earlier in John chapter 8, Jesus speaks to this interesting issue. He says that, A person is a slave of sin when he chooses to be involved in sin. That sin then shackles you and you find yourself a prisoner to sin itself. That sin is not the end of the issue. That it's the beginning of the issue. It's kind of like bruised and broken bones of a physical assault on a person. There's always a corresponding result. And we get to see that brokenness in them. Their arm is broken. They have a black eye. And we say, you've been in a fight. And it's the picture of sin. When sin comes into our life, it brings about results. There's not just a beginning and an ending. There's a continuation of that sin that desires to overwhelm us in its assault. I'm going to talk more about that a little later. But right now, Jesus looks at this particular person. He sees his disability. And he moves toward him instead of away from him. Have you ever noticed how we tend to, when we see people with disability, we tend to move away from them? There's an awkwardness. What should I do? Sometimes I'll have a person with a wheelchair and they're at a store and I'm thinking, should I help them? 
Should I not say anything? Sometimes I walk in and say, hey, can I help you? And they give me that look of, what do you think I am, crippled? And I'm thinking, yeah, that's why, I'm, can I help you? And they're a little angry at me, almost like pointed it out. So there's, there's this sense of, am I supposed to help or not? Jesus recognizes his disability and he moves toward him. And the disciples notice the movement toward him. But instead of dealing with the disability, they throw out a doctrinal question. Oh, here's a chance to show off our knowledge of the word of God. And he said, they say, hey, Jesus, which one is it, A or B? Did his parents sin and that's why he was born blind? Or did he sin while he was in the womb and that's why he was born blind? Now, the teaching actually was that you could sin while you're in the womb and that's proven by the fact that kids kicked their mom in the womb. Ooh. That's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? But that's, that's the concept of the idea. So it's like, oh, either he was born blind because of previous sin or even because some taught he's been reincarnated and in his previous life he blew it. Therefore, he was born blind in this life. All right? And the other idea was that his parents had sinned and therefore God gave them a blind baby. Jesus responds to the question, instead of with a focus on cause, with a focus on what could be. He says it's not about who did what. It's not about looking for someone to blame. It's the result of a broken world that we live in. And Jesus will use this brokenness to show how God can put things back together. Helen Keller, the deaf and blind prodigy, once shared that the worst thing in life that could ever happen to a person is not that they are born deaf or that they are born blind, but that they are living life without vision. That they are blind inside rather than outside. We just came upon the recent suicide of Robin Williams, this gifted comedian who was so caught up in darkness himself that he was unable to deal with it and ended up taking his life. Earlier we saw Rick Warren's son who had fallen into that same dark depression and they choose a temporary, a temporary response that becomes a permanent one that destroys their life because they cannot see beyond the darkness that was in front of them. They were blind and could not see. And sin enters into our world and tries desperately to keep us in that darkness, in those shackles, so that we cannot respond to the light of God and cannot receive the healing that God wants to bring in our life. The blind man does not ask to be healed here. Jesus simply sees the opportunity because of the disciples' questions and declares that this particular person was born blind for this day so that God might be glorified as I give him his sight in a special way and through him declare the truth to all the world that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who would give his life for all the world so that they might have light themselves and give light to people who are truly blind. You see, if we keep dealing with the issue of cause, we'll find ourselves... My professor used to say, kind of like people who are peeling onions all the time. If you keep peeling the onions trying to find the core, you know what you end up with? Nothing. 
Yeah, just a kind of a headache from the fumes that are going on and nothing. And he said, that's what begins to happen. when we all, We're always looking for cause rather than looking for opportunity. Rather than looking for how can God use this? What can God do in the midst of this? Because rarely are we intelligent enough to determine what the cause might be. And therein lies our struggle. I love the statement from Bob Hope. He once shared this when he received a major award for his work. He said, you know, I really don't deserve this award, but then I have arthritis and I don't deserve that either. I thought, yeah. Oftentimes we don't deserve what we get. We need to be thankful for it. But there's also things that fall in our life because of the brokenness of this world that there's no real reason for other than this. We live in a broken world. And as I share with person after person where children die, where car accidents happen and good people are destroyed. And they say, why did God let this happen? And my answer is this. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that God can use this situation to bring light to other people if we choose to allow that to take place. Sometimes our pain and our trial is actually a blessing sent from God to help us and to heal us, not to hinder us, but to cause us and others to begin to see the reality of life beyond this one. I once was blind, but now I see. Say that with me. I once was blind. But now I see. I've got a back issue. Uh, we had a, a particular guy who was a physical therapist here, and he came over to my home because I could, literally couldn't move. I was laying on the ground. I was like, ah. And he came over and he said, Lee, this isn't going to feel very good, but I need to do this. And he began to torture me, <laughs> pressing on my back and rubbing this big, huge knot that was back there. And I said, you're killing me, dude. I'm going to punch you out when I get able to. And he's, he's like, Lee, just handle it. And gradually, gradually, the pain began to resolve itself a bit. And he pushed it and made the net smaller and smaller and smaller until I was able to stand up and punch him one, right? <laughs> until I was finally able to stand again. I went, and he said, okay, Lee, this is what you need to do so this won't happen again. You need to follow these exercises. You need to stretch in this way. And if you do that, the knot won't get a hold of you again. Now, he didn't come over to give me pain. He came over to get rid of my pain. But in order to do it, he had to give me more. Oftentimes, God is in the midst of our life with our disabilities. And he's saying, I don't want more to happen, but it must happen in order that we might get you to the place where it can be removed from your life. And that's the cry of Paul when he says, I called out to God and said, God, please remove this disability from me. And God said, your grace, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Understand that it's in your weakness that my strength will be displayed. That's also the answer that Jesus gives in relationship to this issue. He says the answer is simple. I've come to bring light to the world and you as well. So instead of asking God why, we need to ask ourselves, how can God be glorified here? How can God show his greatness through my weakness? 
When opportunity comes to show the light of God and to share the light of God, we're supposed to do just that. A surfer in this area, Bethany Hamilton, went through a horrendous situation in Hawaii in which her arm was literally bit off by a shark. She barely lived. And as she was carried off in the ambulance, God had provided a Christian man who held her, and he said, God is going to use this in a marvelous way. And she remembered that. And she went through a time of bitterness and question, asking God, God, I can't believe that you truly wanted this to happen. Why did it happen to me? Let's take a look at a clip for a little later time in her life after the bite. Hey, I just got back from Mexico. I'm so glad you're okay. Uh, I was just about to come see you. I can't wait. Come here. I was thinking about you and praying for you every minute. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Yeah. Everyone's been doing really good. You don't have to do that, Bethany. Not with me. Um, they're trying to help. I know. I know. But, um... But what? You know how you said it's hard to see things clearly sometimes when you're too close? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I've been trying to get some perspective. I've been really trying. the light of the world while you are here as you have opportunity you're responsible to give light to those who are in darkness and what happens to us is we're in the midst of these difficult things we just feel like we're totally in darkness and we desperately need those to come alongside and say i don't know all the answers but i know that god loves you and i know that god will somehow work this out for good i don't know how he's going to do it but i believe that he is the one who can do and will do what he wants to do If you're willing. And that's the cry here. We find ourselves caught up in those situations. I have it every week, folks, where people come to me and say, why? Why did this baby die? Why did this situation happen here? Why did that happen there? Why me? And I always tell them, I don't know. But I do know God. And I do know his love and his wonder. And I know that he works marvelous things in marvelous ways for those who are willing to wait 
and to listen and to follow. The story of Bethany continues on as she struggles and then makes some decisions that are very, very difficult. But as a result of those difficult decisions to step out, God begins to open her eyes to see things you could never see before. And we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. So John finds himself talking to us about this I once was blind, but now I see situation. And at first the person who was healed is not even accepted as one who had been healed. They begin to turn to him and say, nah, that couldn't have happened. You must be a different person. Maybe you're his twin. Okay? And then they can't accept that Jesus could be the one who healed him. Because they can't accept that it could have been done on the Sabbath day by anyone who's been called by God. And then instead of accepting their blindness and choosing new sight, they conclude it was all a mistake. They won't deal with it, and they kick the miracle out onto the street. Get out of here. We don't want to see it. We don't want to hear it. We have nothing to do with you anymore. We're just going to ignore it, and it will go away. Wow. What an interesting response. And the beggar finds himself sitting on the ground going, Now what am I going to do? Did you ever think of that? He has no skills. His whole life has been one of holding up a bowl and asking people to put something in. He has no training. He has no education. What opportunity does he have? There's no, you know, there's no special circuit, speaking circuit can go on. Hey, I want to tell you about how Jesus made me see again. He's sitting here in the dust. And I'm sure the thoughts are going through his mind. My parents have rejected me. What family I have has rejected me. Now what do I do? And that's when Jesus shows up. It says Jesus was looking for him. Jesus finds him and he begins to speak to him. And he says, do you recognize who I am? And that's what happens to us in the midst of our disabilities. All the situations in my life that I've had where I found myself wondering what to do. How I got here. How could this have happened? Every single time, Jesus shows up and he speaks as the song that was sung here. Lord, speak to me. Let me feel your breath. Let me, let me get a hold of your touch. And oftentimes I'm crying and saying, oh God, please. And he speaks clearly and quietly. And for some weird reason, things begin to come together. And jobs happen that weren't there before. And money is provided that was never going to be able to be provided before. And people come in and all the things happen in the midst of my disability because Jesus makes me able. And we hear the cry, in your weakness, you'll see my strength. Now the final picture here is that in verses 35 through 40 of the blind men after the birth. These men who were blind but were born with eyes to see. You see, these leaders, these Pharisees had become blind because they'd chosen not to deal with their sin when it was exposed to them. Jesus confronts the leaders and he points out that sin is not so much seen in the blindness of the man born blind, but in the response of those who choose blindness to God's call. 
that the sin is seen in their unwillingness to humble themselves before God and listen to his voice and follow his direction and will. That those who won't allow sight to be birthed within them because their pride is so strongly that they don't want to be exposed as frauds, as people who didn't know or didn't understand. We say we get it when we don't. We're afraid to admit our lack of understanding or our blindness is unacceptable. So we feign understanding and we lie about that to others and fake the knowledge. And those of us who choose this as the Pharisees did become blind leaders of the blind. Or as the Beatles song said, we're nowhere men going nowhere. But we're crying out for everybody, follow me, because we want to be seen as the leader. Follow me. My son, John, is uh, studying economics. And so he came home and he was sharing with me a quote from a professor who had won the Nobel Prize. And he read the quote to me. He said, isn't that neat, Dad? And I wanted to say, yeah, that's really cool. But the truth was, I didn't understand what he just said. And I said, "Um, actually, son, I don't know what you just said. (laughs) What does that mean? He said, Dad, you don't get that? I said, nope, I don't get it. Oh, so he began to explain to me what the quote was and what it meant. And after the end of it, I got it. I said, that's cool. I totally agree with that. That's insightful. I once was blind, but now I see. Say that with me. I once was blind, but now I see. You see, we have to admit our ignorance before we can gain understanding. Humility comes before understanding. Pride blinds us. It's the humble who God lifts up so they can see, not the prideful, not those who claim they know it all, but those who begin to say, I wonder, perhaps I didn't, I'm so sorry. Jesus teaches us that sin is displayed and reigns not in the blindness of the man born that way, but in the response of those who choose blindness Instead of responding to God's call, the Pharisees say, we're not blind, are we? It's a great story. I loved it. I just read the other day, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, one of those, went on a camping trip. They had a good meal. They had a bottle of wine. They laid down for the night. They went to sleep. And some hours later, Holmes nudged his faithful friend. He said, Watson, look up. Tell me what you see. And Watson said, I see millions and millions of stars. What does that tell you? Watson pondered for a minute. Astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horotologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. And meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Why? What does it tell you, Holmes? And Holmes said, Watson, you idiot, someone stole our tent. (laughs) 
Folks, sometimes we're so blind to what's going on right in our midst that in a spiritual sense, we are blind to what God wants to do in us and through us and to us. Here the leaders focus on why would God do this and miss out on the miracle that God did. Jesus says your unwillingness to accept your blindness condemns you. You can see, but you refuse to repent and admit ignorance so you can understand. And therefore, you will be fully guilty without any ability to say, we didn't know because you chose not to know. You are blind leading the blind. Surgeons with sharp scalpels who blindly slice and dice as you kill others and call it an operation with possibilities of success. You don't care if it hurts others. You will be lead dog no matter what and therefore you will be found guilty. You see, as we give up our freedom to sense compulsion. And we become its slave. It seeks out ways to destroy our life and to blind us from the reality of who we are and what we are doing. While sin seeks to work most things for evil for those who love sin, God is working all things together for good for those who love him. So let's take another look at a clip a little later in the situation with Bethany Hamilton. Bethany! Bethany! Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Back off, okay? It's okay. Are you sure? You don't have to talk to them. Yeah, but what about Dylan or Logan or Stephanie? What if they're watching? Bethany, I'm from Transworld Surf Magazine. Are you upset you didn't win today? I didn't come to win. I came to surf. Bethany, I just wanted to ask you, if you could go back to that day and not have gone surfing, would you do it? I wouldn't change what happened to me because then I wouldn't have this chance in front of all of you, this chance to embrace more people than I ever could have with two arms. I was born to surf. This is why I wake up at the crack of dawn every day. This is why I endure belly rashes, reef cuts, and muscles so tired they feel like noodles. And I've learned that life is a lot like surfing. When you get caught in the impact zone, you need to get right back up. Because you never know what's over the next wave. And if you have faith, anything is possible. Anything at all. Could have kept going on that one, tell you what. <laughs> Bethany Hamilton's now married. She's uh, continuing her career as a pro surfer. She's also been involved in various films. And her constant comment is the one you heard there. The reason that I embrace that which God has given me is because now I find myself able to embrace far more people with one arm than I was able to, ever able to do with two. You see, God used a horrible incident and experience in her life to bring about miraculous incidents and experiences in others. And that's the cry that God gives to us. And perhaps the cry becomes one where I say, how much am I willing 
to be hurt in order that others might be able to be healed. Because even as I watch her make those statements and I see her arm gone, I find myself questioning, would I be willing or be able, especially as an athlete, to give that up to gain something else? And that's the cry of Jesus It's the cry of John Newton when he says, I once was blind, but now I see, I see what it's really about. You see, we've got about 10 more minutes. I want to pull this thing in a little bit for us. In Romans chapter 6, Paul speaks to the issue of sin and he talks about its power and its penalty. And it is almost seen as a person. He talks about how sin can reign in our life. Romans 6.14 says this, For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but you're under grace. And he tries to help us understand that sin's power and penalty has been diminished in our lives so that we might be able to respond to God. That this sin, this armatia, this tendency to miss the mark, is no longer devastating to us, but instead God can, in a very real sense, if you see the picture of a bullseye, and uh, it, it was great. I watched this Charlie Brown thing, and they were doing bow and arrows, and he'd fire his arrow into the wall, and he walked over to the wall, and he drew the bullseye around the arrow. He said, dead sinner. That's what God does to our life. And he says, you hit, pull back, and you miss the mark, and I take that miss and I turn it into a dead center bullseye shot. Because I'm able to do whatever needs to be done to bring about what needs to happen. You see, sin, this armatia, which is caught up in a couple of things. Sin is about omission and commission. We understand that, right? That's when we commit a sin, we choose to do something wrong. Omission is when we don't do something right. And last of all, it's about collateral damage from that sin. The others that are affected as a result of what we have done. We do wrong, we don't do right, but there are always results of each one. And all that is required for evil to prosper and to grow and to develop, for rust to continue to rust, is for us to do nothing. All I have to do to get my car to rust is park it on the beach. I don't have to do anything. It will rust into a bucket of bolts that aren't worth anything except to tear it apart. And God says in our own lives, He calls us to renewal, to respond, to take that arm that was torn off and turn it into a declaration of His life and His power, to be a man born without arms or legs who is one of the most powerful speakers you've ever heard in your life, who lives life incredibly because He refuses To accept anything but the best God has for him. And God is speaking to us in the same way. You see, original sin is not so much about hell and penalty. as It is about a resulting brokenness and our tendency to submit to sin and to its power. That we lose our freedom when we sin and we become its slave. So Romans 6 teaches us that it's not in the ability to sin that we display our freedom. 
but it's in the ability to resist sin and its negative attraction that we are progressively set free from sin's attraction and power. Sin is like an ocean filled with undertoes that appears as a really cool place to swim. But when we start to swim in it, it pulls us down and drowns us and provides us with a lack of sense and a destructive nature. And in our blindness, we are unable to know which way to go or how to deal with life. Since a cancer that grows in intensity, it gains the ability to stop growth in other areas of our life to stop us from gaining purpose. You see, our birth or place of birth is not our fault and it does not determine whatsoever where we will end up in life and what will be accomplished. God says, I have put you in this way for a reason. Allow me to show you the reason. Life is like a poker game and we don't know what cards are going to be dealt us. But we have to use the hand that's dealt us. And God says, the hand I gave you is the best hand you could have had. Even though it may appear to be something other than. Respond to me. Allow me to be in the mix. And you will find that I will work together all things for good. And you'll see wondrous things take place as you yield to my power and your life. And we find ourselves saying simply, I once was blind, but what? Now I see. So Paul continues this teaching in Romans 6 that sin is a spirit, it's a power. It steers and eventually moves us to self-destruction. It's often hidden behind layers of deceit. We speak about the issue of homicide in our nation, failing to recognize that although there were 16,000 homicides last year, there were 38,000 suicides 38,000, more than twice the homicides that took place. And the suicide rate continues to grow with our youth as we give up our freedom to sin's power and false direction. It seeks out ways, this living destructive entity to destroy our life and destroy others as collateral damage. You see, there are times in our life when blindness causes us to see things differently. When sins, tempting, solicitations seem far more urgent. When its reasonable explanations seem far more plausible. When its pretenses are much more glorious and the hope of recovery more apparently evident when the opportunities are so open and the doors of evil seem even more beautiful than before. And the blindness of sin causes us to see things falsely. We live in a world that's covered with blindness and doesn't know it. There's a wonderful ophthalmologist its name is Jack Cooper. He's in Dallas, Texas. And he's done some amazing cataract surgeries. After he takes off the bandages, he lets them read his special charts. His charts are a little different. His charts, one reads like this, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's the first thing they ever see. 
They look at him and go, whoa, this is incredible. He would do the surgery. They come in. They look at it. They say, I can see. I can see. He said, well, not entirely. And he shows the chart. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And person after person says, what do you mean by that? And he's able to lead person after person after person to an awareness of who Jesus is and provide them with true sight, not just physical sight. What was it? I once was what? And now I once was blind, but now I see. Matthew 18, as we finish up the last thought, and here it is. We started today's message with a quote from Jesus out of Matthew 18. And he speaks to our need to become like a child in faith, believing and following the truth that he has presented to us. You see, the cry for humility as a child, one who is receiving instruction, is a cry for sight. And without humility, we cannot see. God has predetermined this in all of creation. If you are not humble, you will not see. I can guarantee you that. When your humility leaves, your sight goes with you. And your pride will blind you to make decisions that are so horrible, it is truly unbelievable. But when we are the first to ask for direction and then share with others as we gain it, God says in that humility, you will be able to see. As you continue down through Matthew 18, he speaks to the issue of sin in our life. And he says, if someone sins against you, in other words, if you recognize someone has really hurt you, then you need to go there and let them know privately and then share with them. And when the two of you agree together on that issue, that's what he says. When you agree together on that issue, then I will be with you in that mist of agreement. And then ask God whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. In humility, we see, we understand, and suddenly the blindness, even if it's for a short period of time, leaves our life. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. I once was blind. Now I see. See, as we begin to accept our shortcomings and recognize where we are often blind or at the very least nearsighted, God shows up and does these remarkable, incredible things. Hey, let's close with this clip. My favorite clip ever. It's the most remarkable clip because it displays to us blindness that changes. So watch it. Think about what God has taught you today. And then following that, Eric's going to come and lead us in our offering. I'm lost in blindness. And I refuse to believe that I can see. One has to accept a life of darkness. Years from now, I can only tell my children not to believe that simple grace triumphs over utter darkness. I was born in sin, and I was conceived in sin. It doesn't matter to God that I live every day of my life in hopelessness. No longer can it be said that there is a God who hears the cries of His people. My whole life testifies to one truth. Blindness has robbed me of every good thing, and it is no longer true that God saves those who are crushed in spirit.
that I don't know much, but I know one thing for sure. I was born blind, with no hope and no future. But then I met Jesus, and he turned everything in my life upside down. I was born blind, with no hope and no future. Now I don't know much, but I know one thing for sure. God saves those who are crushed in spirit. And it is no longer true that blindness has robbed me of every good thing. My whole life testifies to one truth. There is a God who hears the cries of his people. No longer can it be said that I live every day of my life in hopelessness. It doesn't matter to God that I was born in sin and I was conceived in sin. Simple grace triumphs over utter darkness. Years from now, I can only tell my children not to believe that one has to accept a life of darkness. I can see, and I refuse to believe that I am lost in blindness. Father, we thank you for this opportunity today to remind us of how you can open our eyes to see things that we never saw before, to respond with hope and with faith and with joy over the true fact that you are moving and changing things and putting all things together for good because you love us. And you desire to work in us and through us so that we might bring light to a world of darkness. Lord, today, speak your grace to us. Declare its presence and help us to receive its power. We ask that in Jesus' name.